Today we begin Advantageous, a series that over the next few weeks will journey us together towards Christmas Day. But where do we start? It really is a trick question. Our temptation is to stay at the beginning. But the story doesn't really have a beginning. Instead, it seems to continue. Some might say, start with Mary and the angel. Isn't that the beginning? But even that part of the story begins with a genealogy that's meant to remind us that the story started long ago. And each of the two gospel writers who include these accounts of Jesus' birth both begin with genealogies, and both genealogies are very different. And how they tell the story is very different. So how do we begin with something so big? Well, perhaps the better question, instead of asking where does the story start, maybe we are supposed to learn that it's that we need to start from where we are, from our perspective. For the shepherds, if you consider it, the story began on a hill at night. There was no backstory, no recap of the previous episodes, no voiceover introducing them and recalling the events with Mary and Joseph. Instead, it was just a disturbing interruption and an invitation into darkness to find the light. And so maybe that's where we begin, in the dark. Just last Sunday morning, I was sitting on the side of the Zagora Mountains in southeastern Morocco at dawn, watching the sunrise. I had taken a nine-hour van ride through the Atlas Mountains on an insane trip that would end up dropping us off in the desert where a caravan of camels and some nomad Berber guides who've lived there for thousands of years, they would take us on an hour-long trek on these camels into the mountains to a camp where we would sleep under the stars. Now, we signed up for this adventure without really seeing all that was involved. Had I known that it would take a nine-hour drive in a van to snake through the Atlas Mountains on precarious roads, terrifyingly close to the edge, driving on whatever side of the road that didn't have goats, dogs, or other vehicles, nobody would sign up. But the description is intentionally quiet about these facts. And so early that morning, after we'd slept in these tents in the cold desert air. Around 6.30, our Berber guides woke us all up to climb the mountain to watch the sunrise over a beautiful ridge. It was surreal. It was quiet. 30 of us or so, mostly Europeans, sat in awe. I learned how to say wow in Spanish, Greek, and Italian. It's wow. It was strangely quiet, partially because We were exhausted climbing the ridge, and partially because there was nothing to say. I'd just come from Portugal, a large, largely Catholic nation where Christmas was front and center. It was beautiful. But now I'm here in this North African country, this Muslim-majority country, and nothing, no Christmas. You could easily forget that Advent was about to begin. Ironically, though, I was sitting in what felt like the pages of Scripture, a country that in many ways hasn't changed in thousands of years. And in that moment, I felt closer to the story here, there, in a place where it wasn't celebrated. And it made me wonder if knowing the story was advantageous. I had thought this as I was thinking about the Christmas story. Sitting there on the side of this mountain on a Sunday morning, and I was wondering, wow, where, where do I even begin And the thought occurred to me, the best place to start is right where you are. And so there I was in the dark on the side of a mountain, thinking about Christmas. 
Both of the Gospels begin in different places in their telling, and there's little overlap, if any. Mark, our oldest of four biographies of Jesus that we call the Gospels, doesn't mention the birth story at all. The absence of the story in no way means it didn't happen. It just means he didn't include it. John's Gospel doesn't begin with Jesus in a manger either. No mention whatsoever. Instead, it begins with a cosmic Jesus before the creation of the world. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In similar fashion, both Mark and John begin with a big introduction of Jesus and jump right into his life at 30 years old. And both of these biographies of Jesus are very satisfying, and they're complete. John, in chapter 21, towards the end of his gospel, even says that he's not written all the stories about Jesus. There's an infinite number of untold things. Perhaps that includes the birth stories. So how is it advantageous for Matthew and Luke to have included these infancy narratives? The early Christians weren't instructed to celebrate Christmas. The earliest recorded celebration doesn't happen until at least the third century after Jesus' death. Outside of Matthew and Luke's accounts, there is nothing in the entire New Testament about the birth of Jesus. Some scholars believe that these two accounts of Matthew and Luke were written down first during the turbulent Jewish-Roman War of the late 60s, decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The late 60s AD was a very difficult time to be a Christian or Jew living in Jerusalem. The brutal persecution and slaughter of hundreds of thousands under the several different Roman emperors in succession. It was a terrible time. Maybe these Gospels were written down so that the oral tradition wouldn't be forgotten or lost. But you can't help but see the theme of God coming during troubled times. A light in the darkness. A new hope. These birth stories of Jesus describe difficult troubled times and God comes anyways quietly against the odds. And perhaps that's why Matthew and Luke felt these stories needed to bookmark the life of Jesus, because it will place God's coming in familiar times. Whatever the original authors intended on recording in these stories, it can only be found in their retelling. And it's one thing to know how to tell a good story, but it's another thing entirely to know why the story needs to be told. And Matthew and Luke know something. And the stories they chose to write about are clues to what they know. And I think the answers we seek are buried in the stories themselves. In fact, it is useless asking what's the importance of these stories without first asking, what are these stories? This is a question that requires us to enter them from where we are. I mentioned that Matthew and Luke begin with long genealogies. That's to let you know you're entering a story that's already started. It has a history. We hit the ground running with questions in our heads. What's the advantage of this story? And as you submerse yourself in the domestic circumstances of place and time of an unwed mother, peasant shepherds, Eastern astrologers, a frustrated fiancé, you soon find yourself holding your breath. You suspend disbelief as more important questions rise to the surface. And as soon as you are truly letting these stories do what they've done for centuries, you leave your questions in Nazareth and you ride with Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. You leave the fireside in the darkness to try and find this manger. You travel with Mary to her cousin Elizabeth's home, wondering with her, what will she think? You are startled by a dream that Joseph has, a vision that Zechariah has, and a visit that Mary has. You're overwhelmed with the smells of frankincense and myrrh, and you feel the radiance of a star or of heavenly beings beings announcing good news. 
these vignettes have elements that don't require any specific chronology. You can read them out of order, and they're still powerful. So today, we'll see them out of order. But perhaps it'll wake us out of our familiarity. Let's begin at the end, with our theme verse buried in the middle. But for those who we will read about, this was the beginning. And sometimes the perfect place to start is just where you are. Luke records this in chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which God has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what they'd been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard about, which were just as they'd been told. Shepherds at night, huddled around a fire, keeping watch over their sheep, a quarter, a kilometer to the nearest village, let's say. They've no no knowledge at all of Mary's angelic visit. In fact, they have no knowledge of Mary or Joseph. They are not revered characters, they're strangers. Because we know the first part of the story and how it ends, we forget what it's like to live in the middle. But this is a great place to start for us, in the dark, and then suddenly a great light. Something has been taking place without their knowing, yet includes them. But they're not behind, yet they have a role to play. It's the same for us. We are in the middle of a story of God's telling without our knowledge, yet it includes us. We're not behind. Even in our ignorance, we have a role to play. The shepherds' lives are interrupted with a light, an announcement. They didn't go out looking. They hadn't been on a pilgrimage. They weren't eating mushrooms, hoping for a hallucinogenic experience. This was unsolicited from their side. But it seems there's no mistake. I considered this last week as I was sitting on the side of the mountain, wondering what it would be like in a land that doesn't have this story to have my existence interrupted abruptly in a terrifying way. To be told the good news of infinite joy for all humanity is present among us. A joy for all people. I don't know in places I've never gone. What is this thing? It's not that the shepherds aren't hoping for a better world like us. They just don't know how it would come. They're living in some dark times. Maybe it's just all they've known. And their eyes have adjusted to the darkness. It's easy to forget how dark it is when you haven't seen the light in a long time. I think we can relate in some ways, from the war in Ukraine to the domestic violence and political upheaval in America. We just keep moving forward, wondering where it's all going. And I was thinking about this last Sunday at 6 a.m. I wished in that moment for a visit, for a 
a messenger, an angelic messenger to crack the sky for me. And I realized one already had. It was just 2,000 years ago. The story was written down, not for the shepherds, but for all who needed to hear it. Maybe it was written down so that when we lose sight of the story we find ourselves in, we can, it can be the light in our darkness. The angel can remind us to go and look for the things God is up to. If we want to find the manger, we have to leave the hill. But we often want the mountains and not the van ride. In a word, the message is surprise. It's already here. What is? Hope. Don't be afraid, the angelic visitor declares. Because God, the good news of great joy for humanity is already here. There's a present tense, not a future tense to those words. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent from God to bring shalom and peace is here. Go and see. What? Aren't there more important people that should be checking this out? How about priests or rabbis' disciples or rulers or authorities? But you know, we're just shepherds, right? It's interesting. One of our first clues as to why this story matters is found right here. What's the advantage of telling shepherds first, the lowest class, those oblivious to the significance of it all? If Jesus truly is the anointed one, why not tell someone who's important? Because the next information they're given is going to blow their minds. They may have thought that first news was shocking, but when the angel says, for all people, that isn't lip service. God Most High didn't just tweet this. The angelic messenger has come to declare it's good news for all. And when he says for all, they mean it. And so this is going to be your sign. A sign? For what? For the good news that it's for all. That the Savior of the world, this Messiah, will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Record scratch. What? We may have missed the nuance in this moment. The story says, and suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven. Suddenly, after they're told, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, I think the angels begin to sing immediately after what they've told the shepherds what to look for because it would have drowned out the expletives. Wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger? Do you know what that meant to a shepherd? I think it could mean that they would find what they're looking for in an ordinary peasant home like their own. That the Messiah might very well be found in their own humble abode. They weren't instructed to go to a wealthy merchant home or even an inn. No, this Christ child would be found in the back of a peasant home. The story is deliberate in its language. The shepherds say to each other, let's go see this thing that's happened. This is unprecedented. This thing that they're looking for is good news. But what sort of good news is found by the king of the universe having a low-budget birthing experience? We may have already missed it. But buried in those words is something so incredible. It was announced as good news when it was a half mile away from the shepherds in a humble village. And it was still good news 60 years after the event when it was first written down. During some of the darkest times in Jewish history, because it was found that what was found that day in the manger was more than a baby, but God with us. This story is as true today as it was then. God is with us. It means he's already here. Do you see? 
They're looking for good news, but how it happens is just as good. Even Mary is moved by these shepherds. She treasures their words in her heart. The angel made her feel afraid, but the shepherds brought her comfort. The good news proclaimed at the first Christmas wasn't that Easter was coming, but that God is with us. He's already come in the midst of your life, not at the end of it. Go and see. God with us doesn't need Easter to be good news because God with us is the good news. God's already here. He's come. And when we begin the stories, we hit the ground running because God is always already at work, taking us somewhere. And for many, we need to be shepherds to get it. Hope always looks different for those living in the dark, but the light is the light. Whether we're a half mile away, or 70 years away, or 2,000 years apart, hope is hope. This is good news for everyone because it includes everyone, but not everyone is able to comprehend it, but not because it's incomprehensible. You see, not everybody goes to see this thing that has happened. What makes this story shine so bright is the darkness in which we find it. And for these shepherds, God of the universe found them sitting in their darkness and announced, you're included. And just to prove it, the sign, the king of the universe will be found in what could be your humble home. Go and see. He's already here. Not go and wait. This has echoes of Jacob's dream from the old story in Genesis, where Jacob wakes from this dream and declares, Oh my God, God was in this place and I didn't know. I imagine the shepherds were taken back, were walking back to their hill after these events, thinking, I never would have thought to look for Messiah in one of our own homes. Now you know. The story is unprecedented. The advantage of its telling is to proclaim you're included in this. Go home. Find the God of the universe where you least expect it. Be a shepherd. Speak comfort to those who would treasure those words in their heart. I get it. Sitting on the side of a mountain in Morocco, I got it. The words played through my mind, God is with us. Go and see. The good news is we're not alone. God's already here. I didn't need tinsel or lights or Michael Buble. I just had to look in all the places I didn't expect to find him. In Morocco, on a mountain, in a story, in my heart.